You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 98 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band The Cryptics. The Cryptics are a band from Dover, New Hampshire. They were touring the United States for their latest release, Continuous New Behavior, before the pandemic struck. You can follow them on all of the social media platforms and find all of the links at thecryptics.com. That's T-H-E-C-R-Y-P-T-I-C-S dot com. Now here it is, their new single, Mystery Line.
Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is John from Code 7, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour. Everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I'm your host for that one time on tour. This is my podcast where I get to talk to people in and around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation. Thank you so much for checking out last week's episode with Mr. Rick DeVoe, manager extraordinaire. If you guys haven't checked it out after this episode, go back and check it out. Rick is an awesome guy, and I'd like to give him a shout out once again for coming on the program, and we will have him back in the future. How are you guys doing during the pandemic, the coronavirus? I am scared. I, I got to say, I today we're not on lockdown yet. We're on lockdown tomorrow here in Indiana. So my wife and I were like, you know what sounds really good? Going and getting some chicken wings. So I, I went to BW3, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings here in Muncie, Indiana. And on my way there, it was kind of like a ghost town. You know, the malls closed. All these different places are closed. And I saw five different cars with signs on them, like signs like taped to the front of the car. One of the signs said, stay away, driver tested positive. That one scared me a little bit. I don't know if it's true or not. When I got to uh, BW3, I was walking inside. I saw a car that had a sign that said, value your life with a question mark. And then it said, stay away. And then there was a little poorly hand-drawn pistol right underneath the words. So uh, things are getting weird. And I hope that you guys are safe and doing well in your neck of the woods. But uh, this week on the show, this is an awesome episode. Mr. John Tuttle from Code 7. I love Code 7 so much. I've been listening to them since they started, man, and we talk a lot about it. Once again, it's one of those things where I know that I played a show with those guys, but we couldn't quite put our finger on it. And uh, we know that we've hung out, but we couldn't really decide when we hung out. So before I get to my conversation with John, and it's a good one, we talk about getting back together and playing the upcoming Furnace Fest, if it happens. I think it's far enough in the future that it may happen. I hope so. But uh, before I get to my conversation, I got to tell you guys about my sponsors. I'm going to get through this pretty quick. The beginning of the episode, the band, The Cryptics, they're awesome. Check out The Cryptics. Go to thecryptics.com for all the information. 
I love you guys. Thanks a lot for supporting the show. Permanence Tattoo Gallery, Anderson, Indiana, downtown on Meridian Street. You can hit them up on all the socials at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. And when they open back up, if you're in, in Indiana, go get some ink at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Merge Four Socks, great sock company. They have socks from the Circle Jerks and Sublime and Foo Fighters and all kinds of cool stuff. Head on over to Merge4.com. And if you guys want a promo code to get 50% off your order, hit me up and I will hook you up. I've got, I think I've got like four or five of them left. So hit me up and I will get it for you. New sponsor alert, Start Famous. Start Famous is a custom print shop. They print merchandise for bands and anybody else that needs merch. And uh, they're located in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I've spent so much time in Hamilton. I love it up there. And uh, the guys from Start Famous wanted to sponsor some episodes. And I said, why not? Let's do it, man. You can hit them up on over at startfamous.com. And if you order from them, your first order, you can use the promo code TOTOT10. That is TOTOT10 to get 10% off your first order. So shout out to the guys at Start Famous. Check them out. If you guys want to sponsor an episode or two for your band or company, you can hit me up, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't have a band or a company and you still want to get involved, you can go on over to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash TOTOTpodcast. Shout out to our two Patreon producers, Bob Foster from Hemet, California, and Mr. John Exton from Stafford, England. Thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, if you guys don't want to do the monthly Patreon thing, but you want to help us out, you can hit up our Venmo. It is my name, at Christopher Swinney on Venmo. Uh, I had a really, really nice uh, donation from a dude named Jason. Thank you so much. It really helps out in this uncertain time. I, I appreciate it so much. So check out the Venmo at Christopher Swinney. If you want to donate, if not totally cool. And I love the fact that so many bands have been, you know, getting online and doing live streams. Our buddy Yo Tom from useless ID has done it. And a bunch of other people have done it as well. So if you guys can help out any of the musicians that are out of work right now, that would be amazing. Do that before you help the show out. If you have extra like dime or 50 cents, throw it my way, <laughs> but help out the musicians first and foremost. Uh, so yeah, that's it. I do have a radio segment this week and, uh, I'm going to hit that right now. So cue the theme music. Radio, 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 radio. When I've got the music, I've got the place to go. On this edition of TOTOT Radio, I've got a good one. Friend of the show, my good buddy, Josh Mann, singer and guitarist for one of my favorite bands, Paper Arms, all the way from Australia. He's got a solo record coming out April 9th. It is entitled Everything I Love is Trying to Kill Me. It's going to be on Uncle M Records, which is over in Germany. And uh, man, he just dropped this awesome song. The song is called Felling Giants, and it's great. It's on Spotify right now, and I'm going to go ahead and play it. And I want you guys to check out Josh's stuff. Like I said, his album, Everything I Love is Trying to Kill Me, comes out April 9th on Uncle M. 
It'll be on all the streaming platforms, so check it out. It's Josh Mann, J-O-S-H-M-A-N-N. You can go to thejoshman.com for any more information, or just check it out on Spotify or Apple Music. So this is my buddy Josh Mann with his first single from his new record. It's entitled Felling Giants. Sleep to the young heartbeat of 20th century Tick-tock to the talk of tyrants Little lad's been a long time Pulling at the pad leg of this town
So there it was, my buddy Josh Mann, originally from Paper Arms, with uh, the first single, Felling Giants, off of his upcoming release, Everything I Love is Trying to Kill Me, out April 9th. Check it out. It's Josh Mann, M-A-N-N, on all the streaming platforms. It's also on YouTube, if you want to check it out. So I can't wait to have you back on the show, my man, and I hope that everything is going well down in Australia for uh, for you and all of our listeners, we have a big uh, big listener base down in Australia. So thank you guys so much for checking out the intro. We are going to get right into my conversation with John Tuttle from Code Seven. Make sure to hit me up on all the socials. I hang out on Instagram more than anywhere else at TOTOT Podcast. And without further ado, this is it: my conversation with John Tuttle from Code Seven. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. John Tuttle from Code 7. How are you today, John? Hey, hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I, I got to say, I was very excited that you agreed to be on the show. I've been a big fan of the band for a long time. Oh, awesome. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. And I, I always thought it was cool because I, I played in a band called the Ataris, and uh, our both of our bands have something in common. We both covered Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Yeah. That is true. Very true. <laughs> How did you guys come to the, you know, the idea of covering that song? Our our whole thing was our singer Chris kind of used to spend summers down in Florida at his grandparents and he got that cassette single and it always kind of resonated with him as like one of the first like tapes that he got. What was it for yeah. you guys? Um ooh. <laughs> we used to we were we were really big into playing covers in the early days. Um, and, uh, we used to do a Madonna song, express yourself, um, taking, you know, weird pop songs that probably shouldn't be heavy and, you know, and, um, and that was, uh, Boys of Summer was one, I think I worked at a, I was working somewhere and it used to play on the radio all the time. Uh, I think that's where most likely where it came from and we all thought it was a great song. So, um. Yeah, that was like our next version of a song that we would play live, and it, we ended up recording it for whatever reason. Um, and that's how we how we ended up doing it, I guess. <laughs> that's cool, man. I just always thought that was cool because I would uh, <clears throat> people would say that like, what band are you in? I'm like the Atari's. Like, oh, you did that boys of Co- that boys of summer cover. I'm like, yeah, but have you heard the Code Seven version? It's way yeah. better. <laughs> no, oh, no. So uh, I think that uh, I think we've met before. I played in the band also called Brazil, and I have yeah. this I have this memory of playing a show with you guys, or either going to see you guys on an off day at Ace's Basement out there in North Carolina. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That, yeah, St. Greensboro, uh, city next door. Uh, yeah, I know. We, I I don't know. I know. I don't know how, but I know we have history together. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we definitely played shows. Um, I, and I know I had a CD. Or maybe there could have been a compilation or something, but because um, you guys have one song in particular that I just flipped over, um, and uh, so yeah, I've got memories. I can't remember specific shows that we may have played, but I know we definitely crossed paths, and I'm positive we've hung out before. I feel pretty sure. I know that. that. I know that. Like my introduction to your band was through playing in Brazil, and I'm, I'm trying. Man, it was so long ago, and I just have this memory. I w- we either played with you at Ace's Basement or I was at Ace's Basement and they were playing your live gig on the on the TV oh, yeah. because they always right. filmed all the shows there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I don't remember specifics, but uh, yeah, I know I I can I know specifically that we definitely hung out before or various members of the bands have, have uh, you know mingled 
That, and that's sure. how it kind of always goes on this show. Like I get someone on the show and like I have a brief history with them, but we can never remember exactly where and when because it was like 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. It's been a while. That's for sure. So I'd like to go back pretty far on this podcast. I, I want to know, you know, I know that you and two of your brother, your two brothers, James and Matt, were in Code 7. Did you guys all start learning different instruments or was it just kind of like, because I mean, I think that's kind of cool that you guys all played something different and you were brothers or did you guys fight over maybe wanting to do the bass or the drums? Uh, definitely not. Didn't fight over the bass. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, um, no, yeah. Me and James both uh, grew up playing guitar. Um, and uh, our uh, grandparents, she, uh, grandma, she was in a uh, gospel band. It kind of had like a country cover band too. Um, so over at her house, there was just tons of instruments, um, PAs and mixing boards and guitars and drums and, you know, whatever you could want. Um, so there was a drum set and I think we probably pushed Matt. Uh, he was, he's younger than us. Uh, and me and James are twins. Um, so we would push Matt uh, onto the drums so we could have somebody to jam with, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember specifically, but I think he pretty much took to that. And there was always a drum set around anyway. Uh, so I think he took to that. But it, yeah, it worked out really well uh, until it, until Code 7 started. And then um, Eric was already kind of part of it. And and I was kind of a little late to the party. Um, so I was like, well, I guess I'll play bass. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily by choice. Yeah. Uh, yeah which is not a bad thing because uh, I actually, uh, it ended up being the best thing because uh I got to uh, kind of sit back and relax while they're all tap dancing on pedal boards and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I'll say, you know, I know you guys started out and we'll talk about this a little bit later as we go through some of the records. I know you guys started out a little bit more aggressive and got more melodic, but the cool thing that I always liked was when you guys got more melodic, those songs that were a little more spacey, the bass had a lot to do with the melody in those songs. So you kind of lucked out in a way. Yeah, yeah, um, that yeah, that's a big, big part. Uh, which I was actually just talking about the other day. Um, the guitars are kind of noodling, and uh, the whole chord structure is is with the bass. Uh, and the you don't want to hit a uh, a bad bass note, or else you know the whole structure kind of falls apart. Um, yeah, it, it ended up being like pretty crucial to the point where I uh, I like you know, just let me handle this, like because we all write yeah. on whatever instrument. Uh, when it comes time to perform, it'll be, uh, you know, usually me on bass. But, um, yeah, I got to the point where I was like, I really preferred it because uh, I felt like I had almost more control than anybody because I was uh, picking these, uh, the main chord structures and whatnot. Um, and I kind of preferred that, actually. So you guys formed the band in 1995. I know you guys were still in high school at that point, correct? Uh, yeah, uh, me, James, and Jeff graduated in 95. Okay uh from high school and then the other members uh dave uh who was still in the band at the time eric and matt were you know between 10th 11th and 12th grade all spread out i think through those years and you guys are uh what what part of north carolina are you guys in uh winston-salem winston-salem okay and you said aces basement how close is that to where you guys actually formed the band uh yeah that's in greensboro and that's about a 30 minute drive from winston did you guys play there quite a bit there at the beginning or was it even open back then? Uh, no, it wasn't there in the beginning, the early days, um, for sure. But, um, yeah, when they first opened, we may have been the, I think we might've been the first band they ever played there. Um, but yeah, once it opened, cause they're, they're Greensboro 
which is a slightly bigger city than Winston Salem, but they always they never quite seem to have a stable venue yeah in those days um so when that came around that was a it was really cool to have something that wasn't um winston-salem but still doing shows so you guys got the band going and your first official release was called paper or plastic in 1996 so a year after you guys formed you you put something out um was that self-release did you guys just put that on your own yeah i i mean i consider that almost more of a demo um uh we yeah, we went to the studio, uh, paid for it ourselves. We had no label. We didn't have anything. We just, um, we recorded it and then got a whole bunch of uh, random tapes and we would, you know, dub it onto the tapes and sell them at shows for a couple bucks. I, I did the same thing when I was young. My my mother and my aunt were in this like kind of scammy type thing called Amway. You ever heard of that before? Oh, yeah, yeah. And what they would do is like they would give you these inspirational tapes to like help you with your your business of selling products or whatever. And they would have these just boxes and boxes of tapes. And I used to yeah. do the thing where you would put the tape over the top of the, oh, yeah. the hole. So you yeah. could, and I, my first band, I think we went through like 500 to a thousand tapes. We sold that were all Amway tapes with a label over the top. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. That's it. I mean, that's pretty much exactly what we did. Um, yeah. So that's that it, it did. There was a local label called Huel records. Um, um, who did end up releasing it on their label. It was still more of a local release, though. If you didn't live in the area, I, they didn't have distribution, I don't think, or anything like that. Were you guys touring a, a lot back then, or were you still kind of just sticking around your area? Uh, yeah, there was. Uh, it would have been m m probably all regional, okay. you know, yeah. Virginia, South Carolina maybe, but probably didn't go much farther in the, in the early days than that. Did you get into that, that Richmond scene at all in Virginia? Um, we, you know, we played there a few times. The, uh, what's the name of the, the main club? It changed names, but, uh, it's been, gosh, it's been uh, a long time. My mind's not working right now. <laughs> the, yeah. The Richmond scene. Um, uh, no, we didn't, we played there a handful of times, but it wasn't somewhere where we ever played much. Um, I know obviously, uh, you know, Avail and all that. So we were, we were paying attention big time to it because of Avail, but uh, I don't, yeah, we played there a handful of times. It was good, but it wasn't somewhere where we ever played much. What were, you know, you just mentioned Avail, and I know they kind of, you know, cross genres and whatnot. What were some of the bands that were inspiring you guys back when you started? Uh, uh, Avail was actually a really big one. They were, because um, they weren't too far away from us. Yeah. And uh, they would come through a lot. And, uh, and they were kind of like uh, the band that was kind of showing everybody, hey, you can do this. Like, it's possible. Uh, and they would just, everyone would come out when Avail played. Uh, and the shows were crazy. And uh, it was just kind of like, uh, oh, it, it was the inspiration for us. You know, like this band from Richmond can go out, play out of town, have these crazy draws, and then go to other towns. And, uh, you know, they were actually, you know, they were doing it. You know what I mean? Uh, that was that was all, that was huge inspiration for us because they were like the band if you could get a show with the Val and winston like there was that was the biggest thing possible so you guys did you guys play some of those early shows in in winston with avail uh we were lucky enough we i know we played at least twice um with avail and uh before we got to play with them i mean we were going to see them like i guess probably on satiate is like very beginning yeah we were there pretty early um and yeah we did i think dixie and maybe forum friday we may have played with them um yeah, yeah. That was just like the one of the biggest inspirations for us was Avail for sure. 
I, I just had Tim from Avail on the show about a month ago, and I've got to say, man, like I've enjoyed every episode I've done, but speaking with that guy is the most amazing thing in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. Just so the cool. way he's so passionate about music and everything. So that's really cool. You guys were kind of there at the beginning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were they were number one, I think, for us for a long time. Well, I know you guys, you know, when you first started out, it was a little more hardcore, a little more aggressive. Uh, were there any other bands you could tell me that were inspiring you that were kind of along those lines? Um, man, every um, everything that whole when that the whole metalcore thing started, like we were like straight metalheads growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, did not listen to punk. Was not the scene in Winston was definitely more just kind of pop punk and stuff. And I, I wasn't really too into that, the sound anyway. Uh but uh when things started getting more like metallic, that's when we were like, oh my God. Uh, you know, the two worlds were kind of colliding. And because we love the DIY aesthetic, the attitude, and you know, that was definitely kind of us attitude wise. But uh musically we weren't too big into the popular stuff, the punk. Um, with a few exceptions, like Avell definitely had a little, little more edge and they weren't like, you know, poppy. Yeah. Um, so when the, the metalcore thing, uh, happened, like we were just like pretty much everything victory records put out, uh, in the mid nineties, uh, bloodlet, uh, the record, uh, dead guy fixation on coworker, uh, were massive, like massive for us. Um, and obviously the, you know, Snapcase and Earth Crisis, like just about, it seems like everything they put out with that one, you know, three year time period or whatever, it was just like perfect. I still listen to so much of that stuff now. I, I still do too. My wife makes fun of me. She's like, you listen to stuff you listened to like 20 years ago. I'm like, it's still good. Yeah. It's still great. I think it holds up. Like, uh, especially, uh, the dead guy record fixation. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I just love that. I it just, I think it still sounds current. I, I was just like, with me, I you know, I've played in punk bands, I've played in like weird bands and hardcore bands, I've metal bands, I've played in everything. To me, I was just always obsessed with just like consuming anything that was like underground and had some sort of like counterculture kind of thing. So like, I was never into the poppy punk stuff, the more metallic kind of fat record stuff, and then like crust punk and. And in the hardcore bands and everything else, but I'm also a big metalhead, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was uh, that's really what got us really going into that that world. Um, like, cause we were, you know, the post hardcore stuff with Quicksand and some of the Revelation stuff. We were we were getting huge into, and this is right when we're starting the band too. Um, so, but yeah, but once we uh, once you could see like everyone was kind of doing their spin on hardcore and how to make it heavy and everyone had their own little version of it uh you know poison the well was bringing in uh more melody which was probably closer to what we would do uh but there every band seemed to have their own take on like this is what we would do if we wanted to make uh, hardcore heavy um and it just everything in that time period was just seemed so fresh uh and we loved it and we were like uh, this is where we want to be um and that they that and we did division of labor album which was kind of our take on like this is where we would want to be uh or our take on like heavy hardcore i guess so the second release before division of labor a sense of coalition 1998 music cartel how did you guys hook up with the music cartel uh the um music cartel the guy that owned that record label was the president of eric records in the u.s okay and yeah, so um which I mean if you're into metal that's kind of like that's a label you know about, right? 
Oh yeah, well, I knew all about Eric. I have I had you know the carcass and tomb releases. Uh, so yeah, so um, the uh, the Hill Records they were on. They they had a band as well called Squat Lawyer, and they were on a label in New York. Um, I can't think of the name of the label, uh, but their office was right across from Earache office. Um, so and they were like, well, let's let, we'll give you know they put out the record, but they were like, well, we'll give it to our record label too. Um, and they were they listened to it, um, and they were like, oh, this is this is way heavy for us, but we know somebody that might like it. They're across the hall. They they're into heavy stuff. <laughs> And they passed it along to Eric. Uh, and next thing you know, Eric's like knocking on our door uh, and offered us a record contract, um, which oh, is crazy. With, with actual Eric themselves. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, six, I think it was like five or six record deal or something they wanted to do. But, um, which was really cool. Like, uh, you know, like we were we were big into the Eric stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, we were still like, we were still in high school. We had paper or plastic had come out uh self-released and then he'll picked it up and did it locally but that made its way into uh, eric's hands um so while we were the negotiations with them took forever because we were going to do it um we were like all right let's just get the lawyers on board and you know as soon as everyone agrees whatever we were okay we were skeptical because it was such a so many records yeah um that does seem like quite a bit yeah i think the number went up one of those old victory contracts that people get right. screwed on you yeah know? <laughs> yeah 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 this this yeah this probably where they copy their style from yeah uh it, it was it definitely started getting a little sketchier the longer it took uh and you know half the band was still in high school uh and that demo that we released those are some of the first songs we'd ever written not not just as a band but um as uh just as uh musicians ourselves like we were pretty new to the whole world of like writing music uh, so, so it just I take like, it that Code Seven's your first band, then, correct? Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. We all started it in high school um, uh, together, uh, or just out of high school. We, but we, the brothers, were all playing. And Eric, we were doing like we would play parties with covers and cover, you know, ministry or you know whatever. Um, so we had been all playing together throughout high school. But it wasn't until like we graduated that it was like, all right, let's put a name on it. Uh, let's find somebody to sing, which was Jeff, and uh, you know, kind of, you know, got things moving. And a sense of coalition that 1999 rec, 1998 record on Music Cartel. That was the one that had Boys of Summer, and, and you guys started getting some uh, right. some radio play, some college radio play, correct? Right. Yeah. Uh, you see, yeah, we actually recorded that ourselves too, uh, and then the Eric was going to buy it, but then we were like, uh, we decided to cancel that, and the owner uh, or the president was leaving to start his own label music cartel. And he's like, come with me, you know, um, instead of Eric. So we did, cause it was just a couple records we had to do with him. And it, it was a lot less pressure for us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, I guess they bought it from us, I guess. I don't know. That was self funded ourselves as well though. Um, and then, yeah, we recorded that boys of summer and that definitely started to take off. Um, and which we were not happy about. You weren't, like, ha- you we weren't happy about it. No, no, we we were becoming known as the band. We well, basically, what the Ataris I think embraced. Well, no, that's that's the thing. I mean, we it seems like we embraced it, but there was so many nights where, like, I remember, like, no one wanted to play that fucking song. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we, yeah, we uh, we never uh, there was no single or release or anything on our part. It, that was just the song that a lot of the college radio stations started picking up. Yeah, 
Um, well, I'll tell you a story really quick that you might like then that you're talking about the whole boys of summer thing and people knowing you for that. I, uh, I moved down South to Gulf Shores, Alabama a few years back or about seven, eight years ago. I'm now back in Indiana, but, uh, I met this guy at a bar and he's like, well, what did you used to do for a living? And I saw oh, I played in a band and he said, what's the name of the band? And I said, the Ataris. And, and he was like, oh, I've never heard of them. And then like two minutes later, his phone rings and his ringtone is our version of boys of summer. Oh. Wow. And I was like, I said, dude, that's my band. And he goes, no, that's some 41. Like the the, uh, the song got bigger than the band. There's people out yeah. there that love that song that have no idea who the fuck the Ataris are. Yeah, no, that's crazy. That's crazy. So I feel uh, you. I feel you, dude. Yeah, no, we we got to the point where we we wouldn't even play live. And we were just like, we're hoping everyone would forget it. And, they, and people kind of, but they did forget it. Uh, you know, Howard Stern even played it like he did it back. He did a comparison, I think, with the original. Um, and that that's when it was like, we no more. We're cutting it out of the set. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, let's move on, which we did. Uh, and we haven't recorded a cover since. <laughs> that's cool, uh, man. <laughs> yeah. We, we, yeah, it, it was fun. It helped get things moving for us, especially like the New York, uh, New Jersey and Long Island, uh, W, oh, SOU. Seton Hall, they played a lot up there, which really helped get uh, Code 7 going in the north, uh, which was awesome. Um, very thankful for that. But uh, yeah, too many requests for that song. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. So after, you know, Division of Labor, which came out in 1999 on Music Cartel, the same label, uh, sing your singer David departs the band. Was there, did you guys replace him or did you guys just kind of reorganize? I know you guys always had two singers. Right. Um, no, there was no replacement. Um, yeah, we were when uh, the last we were kind of by the time we were finished writing Division, we were moving towards wanting to uh, experiment with more melody, maybe like less less heavy stuff. Yeah. Uh, the last song on Division, which was all melodic, was kind of like foreshadowing the future, I guess. Um, and obviously, Dave doesn't sing. Um, and we were really, really, really trying to push him to do uh, synths and stuff like that because he was into he had a really a one or two really nice synthesizers, and we were wanting him to incorporate that into the music because we were like I think everyone's kind of wanting to go in this direction. Uh, but yeah, he wasn't you know I don't think he wanted to take a back seat, um, which I guess that would have been after being up front for for so many years. Uh, so yeah, it didn't work out, but um, which really sucks. But uh, and that's why we ended up like doing the guitar synth stuff um um just to try to fill it in without bringing anybody else on um because we were really wanting to to mess around with different sounds and whatnot uh but yeah so on the rescue which was that the next record after david left it was you know a lot less aggressive more melodic and were there any certain bands or anything that was influencing you guys to kind of make that change i know friends that I've had that have been in heavier bands, they always kind of come to that point where it's still fun to play heavy, aggressive music, but you grow up kind of, and you start listening to different stuff. Like what was the catalyst for you guys to kind of make that change? Um, I, I just think, uh, I think the, the whole, the, the, uh, the genre that we were playing in, like that was so exciting when we got started and every, it seemed so fresh. It's, it started to feel a little stale, uh, I guess. And we were wanting to experiment uh, more ourselves. And, like, we didn't want to get fall into that uh, world where just, like, 
it, it, everything is getting rehashed and rehashed and rehashed to where nothing sounds fresh anymore. Uh, so we were like, let's just go out and push ourselves to do something that's out of our comfort zone, which is typically how we, we, we like to work, like throw ourselves out and just to unfamiliar places and see what happens. So, I mean, and that's, that's kind of basically what it was. Um, a lot of the shows back then too, though, were like, you know, so many, there was fights nonstop, um, uh, you know, all the local bands that were, would get added, there'd be like 10 local bands on every show. And, you know, they all wanted to be like, you know, tough guy, hardcore, which we weren't really into. Yeah. Um, and there were, we were seeing so much more of that, um, that we were just struggling to kind of relate to some of that, I guess. Um, so we were just like, well, let's just mellow out and see what happens. Uh, was there, was there a little bit of like polarizing with the, the people that liked the band when that record came out? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like it kind of split everything into two camps, I think, um, without a doubt. Yeah. Pre the rescue and post the rescue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, that's how people, I think still, when they talk about code seven, it's like, uh, even with the furnace fest announcement, I've seen, well, is it going to be the early stuff or the old stuff? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, cause it's two different versions, um, which is, you know, it's whatever it's fine. So, you know, after the rescue, you guys end up signing to equal vision. Can you kind of let me know how you came to their attention and how that all started? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, well, the, uh, the, we know Dan, who works uh, Dan Sanshaw for for quite a few years. Uh, we crossed paths at various festivals way before he was even working at Equal Vision. Um, so we, you know, we kind of knew them. Um, I think we had just toured with with Coheed. Um, I think who was killing it on Equal Vision. Um, so we were kind of interacting. We toured with Fairweather and Liars Academy, which was like uh, almost all Equal Vision open hand. I don't, I don't, I don't think they were equal vision, but we had been crossing paths a lot and are having to work together with various tours and stuff. Uh, and we were, uh, you know, that was the time period where, uh, all the major labels were starting to sign up all those, all the, the scene bands or whatever. Uh, and they were looking at us too for a long time. Uh, so there was a lot of back and forth with, with various major labels. Uh, but we kind of felt like we were getting strung along. And, uh, so our, uh, lawyer, we canceled any of the negotiations that were going on. We were just like, forget it. We don't want to do that. Uh, and she was like, well, who do you want to sign with? Uh, what do you want to do? It's like, well, I don't know. Equal vision. Like we've been playing, <laughs> we've been playing with their bands and we knew Dan was over there. Uh, so, uh, and everyone seemed to be so happy with them. Uh, and they were putting out amazing music. So, uh, we were suggested that. And it was like, almost like a, Feel like just a few days later, I feel like we were signing contracts to be on Equivision. Was it was it multiple records or what, like what was the what was the deal? Right, yeah, I think it was three three records. Three, yeah, we only did one before breaking up, but yeah, um, I think it's three. So when, when you when you only do one and then you break up, like, are you? I mean, I I'm sure I know a lot about how this works, but I don't know if the listeners do. Are you paying them back for those other two or, or do they just say like they just call it a day or it's all out of royalties what is it no yeah i mean they they never uh advanced any money for the other records or anything like that so um yeah and we toured on the the one release that we did for it and i'm fairly confident everything was recouped not that i see any money from it or anything like that but um i i feel pretty confident they recouped that um uh, that initial record anyway 
Uh, but I guess technically Code 7 is still under contract for sure. So <laughs> if we wanted to to put something out, we would definitely have to go to them first and, and give them like first dibs if they want us to release it, I guess. So that record you were speaking of was Dancing Echoes and Dead Sounds, or Dancing Echoes, Dead Sounds, 2004. Um, that even kind of took, you know, the more melodic, less aggressive approach from the rescue even further. Were you guys just really, really feeling that? I mean, because there's... It's it's a really chill record. Like I really love it, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks. Uh, I don't. It's weird because uh, when we released that, I for me, I think everybody the band we were like for the first time ever we've done two records that sound similar, like the same band, you know. Um, but talking to people when people heard it, they were like, "Oh, this is completely different than Rescue." But to <laughs> us. I, I don't think any of us really felt like it was any different. Like it was the same thing. Um, we had way more time in the studio this time, uh, and it, the most of the ball, the whole record was written on a computer, uh, which is, I think is the big difference. Um, whereas the rescue, we were using the computer to, to form ideas, but uh, with dancing, like m- I almost every song on that record, we never even played in a room together before we recorded it which was a really weird thing, um, kind of an experiment, I guess. Um, yeah, we treat every, every time we go and write and record, we try to, you know, again, put ourselves in a position where, you know, we don't know exactly what we're doing and hopefully, you know, experiment a little bit and, you know, see what happens. Um, but it, we definitely thought that they, <laughs> we, it sounded like the same band from record to record. Uh, but it's not the case. Uh, uh, I guess I can kind of hear it now, but uh, we were pretty confident for the first time in our history as a band. We'd finally pulled off uh, two records back to back that sounded like the same band. But then uh, I don't but no, I don't think anybody else saw it that way. So can you take me through like a writing session? Then you, you said you used the computer for all those songs. How were you guys actually going about writing the songs for that record? Um, we had, let's see. A lot of it was like just weird drum loops, and um, I feel like the vibe of that record is because we we weren't completely sure when writing how to get out of the loops. So I feel like, uh, which I I hear it when I hear that record. I, I see that as a downside too. Um, I see it as a uh, a downside of not playing those songs before recording them now. But it was a really interesting thing because we kind of got tied into certain drum loops that we would just set up and try to create a mood. Um, and we definitely struggled to get out of it because we weren't in any kind of pro recording setup. I mean, this is like the, still the early 2000s. Um, so it, it didn't sound good or anything like that. But um, yeah, it, it was very interesting. But um, I wouldn't do it that way ever again. I can tell you that. Um, I see the downsides of it. And I can hear the downsides of it. Um, so when when the record was done and you guys actually had to take this out to the people and go on the road, you just you just had to learn the song since you guys had never really played them together. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, we got home and um, they um, they sent us uh, the guys that recorded the album. We had the stems and because we knew most likely to pull off a lot of the stuff, we were going to have to start using tracks. Yeah, uh, which we'd never done before. Um, so yeah, once we had the tracks and we figure out a way to, to do that live, uh, that's when we started like piecing everything together and trying to figure out how to pull it off. Um, that, cause we had never done a record. The rescue was almost done 
in like real time, like very few overdubs at all. Um, so, and we had always wanted to make a, a, a recording on a computer, which sounds crazy to say in 2020, <laughs> but, yeah. um, it, it had always been on tape. We had never gotten a chance to work in Pro Tools. So that was one of our goals was to work on Pro Tools, have unlimited amounts of tracks, um, and just do whatever we wanted to, layer as much as we wanted. We never had that chance. Uh, and we did it with that record. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it became a hassle to try to figure out how to play it live. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't, and how to make them come alive live, because since we didn't play them before we recorded them, Sometimes I don't think those songs translate well live. I think they sound good when you listen to them, but I don't think they come across as good as some of the rescue stuff live. Yeah. Uh, for that reason. Uh, but yeah, again, like that's just kind of our thing. Just kind of let's experiment. And, you know, if it doesn't go right, it doesn't matter. Let's just like getting too comfortable in any one area makes me uncomfortable. Well, I think you should always challenge yourself if you're an artist. And I like the fact that you guys never kind of did the same thing twice. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, we it was always uh, always pushing ahead and trying to uh, you know uh, trying to lead the way uh, for better or worse. That's what excited us, and it's what excites me about music. It's the the music that I listen to uh, when I'm trying to find new stuff to listen to, it's like the bands that are like really trying to uh, take things somewhere different. That's what makes me uh, excited about music. So when the record came out, I'm sure you guys probably started touring. I mean, I know you were touring a lot more before that, but you know, you're on Equal Vision now. You've got a record that's out. What was the schedule like when it came out? Did you guys just go, go, go? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like uh, the rescue is when the touring really started. Um, coming out, I guess you know, because we still consider ourselves like, I guess uh, you know, punk hardcore metal band or whatever. We may not sound like it, but that's still kind of our home base. Uh, and we would tour a lot, you know, with heavier bands still on the rescue. Um, so it started and yeah, it was nonstop. Uh, we were like, we were turning down tours quite often um, just because um, it was just nonstop. Like, you know, obviously the label and management wants you to keep going and not turn anything down. But uh, yeah, we were, we were definitely getting burned out and we weren't making a whole lot of money. Um, our motto as a band was always, um, if we're going to have to go out and be away from home, let's try to reach new people and expand instead of, you know, playing smaller shows to just our audience. Uh, so we would take and support, um, uh, tours was, was what that was our, for better or worse. I'm not, I'm not sure that was the best idea in hindsight, but, um, yeah, so that's what we did. If we're going to have to be on the road, let's, let's open and try to, get new new kids uh so it was nonstop. were there any uh i mean did you guys tour with a lot of heavy bands after that equal vision record came out i mean because was it kind of kind of tough to kind of you know break those fans um you know like the the hardcore kids and and that scene i feel like were way more accepting of like that sound the the newer slower sound than um the new kids that were starting to come into the scene, especially the teenagers, um, you know, with MTV and all that stuff. Um, playing those songs to kids, like, is one of the things that, like, made us just want to quit. To The teenagers have that thing, I guess, that they can do to you. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, 
Yeah, the, the, they were, uh, in hindsight, I, again, um, I feel like the hardcore punk shows, like those kids were way more open, even if it's like nothing but heavy music and then us uh, somewhere in there. Like we would sell so much more merch to us, you know, a size crowd that's a, you know, a quarter or a fifth of the size of like some of those tours we were doing, but we would sell way more much and they would be so more enthusiastic than the teenagers who were coming to those bigger shows who, you know, who just didn't care. We were way too weird, I guess, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, for them. And they, they didn't want anything to, to do with us. Um, uh, so even though we were playing stuff that was way more mellow, you would think that they could relate to it. Um, yeah, the, you know, the heavier kids are the ones that really seem to understand it best. So you guys ended up breaking up in 2005, a year after that record came out. Was it the touring schedule and just, you know, the, this, what always happens to bands or was there some kind of like inner turmoil with band members? Like what was it that made you guys break up? Um, I mean, it was, um, I think it, it was just, it was, I, I had had a kid, you know, we'd been doing it, uh, for a decade at that point, um, which was a goal. I think it was a kind of a unsaid goal of everybody. It's like, oh wow, we did this one thing continuously, thought about it nonstop every day for a decade. Um, and I think we all knew, like we just hit the decade mark. The trajectory of the band was always going up though. You know, even if it was very small, it was, it never, we never hit a spot where things went backwards. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we were really, you know, we were coming, I guess, probably about to hit 30 or so. Some of us maybe, um, I, you know, I was married, I had a kid, I was starting to have to miss tours because, uh, you know, if I want to make money, I stay home. I don't go on tour. Yeah, totally. Um, but when you're taking support, uh, especially, um, so yeah, yeah, it, it was just getting older and, you know, financially it was really, really, really hard to, uh, to do it for us, uh, at that kind of, I, we could have slowed down. Uh, and I know a lot of bands will do, will slow down and keep going and, you know, maybe only do a tour here and there. Uh, but you know, that after a decade of nonstop, and I mean, every single day, all you did was think about what are we going to do for the band? Yeah, It was just like, uh, we just needed like that mind space. It was like the idea of not having anything was really appealing. So what did you do for work kind of in the interim? I know we're going to talk about the reunion here in a minute, but like, what's your, uh, what are your discernible skills <laughs> other than playing bass? Um, well, I mean, like, I think like a lot of people, a whole lot of people in bands, like um, I was the guy that um, was working on flyers and uh, T-shirt designs and, you know, merch stuff. Yeah. So like uh, or website, uh, you know, like I learned to code and learned to do all of this out of kind of necessity. Um, and so, yeah, so I was doing design and uh, uh, working at a yearbook company uh, doing graphics and whatnot. And. Uh, which was awesome because during while the band was going, uh, uh, almost every member of the band worked there for a little while. And because it was a yearbook company, you would get the summers completely off. Wow. Uh, and then they, they would, and they would have like unemployment and stuff benefits because they need you to come back in the fall. Um, so a lot of the touring that we did, like, uh, especially throughout the summers, like I still had a little income coming in through that. Uh, a couple of us did, uh, which was, amazing like it's you could not have found a better situation than that when i when i was uh touring when i was younger i would always the summer would hit and i would quit whatever crap job i had 
and or I wouldn't quit. I'd find a I'd find a way to get unemployment. I don't remember how I really did it, but my dad back in the day they would send you a little note in the mail, and you had to like put three places that you tried to get yeah. a job, and then send it back, and they'd give you your money. My dad did that for me for four months one summer, yeah. totally, <laughs> just so totally. I could have money on the road. It was crazy, man. Yeah, no, that's exactly. I did the exact same thing. Um, you know, the other guys would, you know have to work, uh, you know, random jobs and have to quit when a tour came up. Um, and w- when we started at this job, which was, uh, probably went division, we were doing division is when we started that me and James, uh, at this place, we told them like, well, we're in a band, we're going to tour as long as you're okay with us leaving every now and then. And they were, I guess, desperate for work and they agreed to it and they actually held it up. So if we needed two weeks in December to do a short run, they would let us and we'd come back and still had a job. Wow. That's great. Man. So, uh, yeah, we were extremely fortunate. Uh, I consider that company being one of the reasons why we were able to to keep going and take so many uh, support uh, opening slots uh, that you know don't pay that too hot. Now, the thing that I that I was going to ask you is, you know, I know you guys are going to play Furnace Fest th- this year, but I I didn't realize you guys r- kind of got back together in 2010. You did like a tour supporting Circus Survive, like. Are you guys like an active band like before, like during that interim or are you guys just kind of, you did the reunion and then right. you were just kind of inactive until something else cool popped up? Like, cause there's, there hasn't been any new music, correct? No, no, nothing new. Um, yeah, we, we, we did a reunion show. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not even sure what the time frame is. Uh, you know, maybe if after four years or so of being broken up, we yeah. did a kind of a hometown show. Um, and you know, we, we're friends with, uh, with those guys, really good friends, uh, service survive. And we used to tour with this day forward back in the day. Um, great people. Uh, and they saw that, that we had done a reunion show and they were just like, uh, so if you're going to play a show, do you want to play a tour as well? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we were like, um, yeah, um, sure. Let's do it. We didn't have any plans to do anything but that one show. Uh, and we didn't really have any plans to do anything after that tour. We thought maybe we might write, um, but, you know, uh, and we even stopped by Equal Vision on that tour, too, and hung out and told them, well, we might. It was early on in the tour, and we were like, yeah, we might write if you guys, you know, want to put it out, you know. And, you know, you know, just kind of doing, filling it out, I guess. But, um, yeah, by the time the tour was done, we were just kind of like, yeah, let's just let's just leave it, you know. So there hasn't been a lot of activity since that tour, correct? Right. Uh, we played one show not too long after that tour. Uh, we did a, another just hometown show with Hubs Fall. Um, and then we haven't played since. It's been about a decade since we played together. So I guess that brings me up to Furnace Fest. I'm very excited about Furnace Fest. You know, Actually, it's it's cool that like you guys are going to play and kind of get back together. A lot of other bands are as well. But it's cool yeah. that Furnace Fest is back because it's been gone for so long. My my wife is actually from Birmingham, Alabama, so like I Oh, awesome. We might actually be there. I might get to come see you guys. But uh Oh, yeah. When when that all came about, you know, you guys said you haven't played together in like 10 years. Yeah. Did did they contact you? Do you guys have some sort of like you know, dormant booking agent you're working <laughs> with or like, how did that come about? Um, I guess kind of, I guess through beloved actually, um, beloved's, uh, from here as well. Um, or a city like 
a little town 10 or 15 minutes away, but they're basically, we're basically from the same place. Like, you know, we run into those guys randomly all the time. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I had heard a little bit like a furnace might be getting back and, um, and a beloved might be doing their first show in forever. So I kind of knew some stuff was going on. Um, and then it got announced, which is awesome. Uh, we were, you know, pumped for those dudes. And then, uh, Dusty from beloved started texting and he's like, you know, your name keeps coming up, uh, for furnace fest. Like, would you guys even consider that? Um, you know, and I don't, I think James, he wrote myself and my brother. Um, I think James was like, yeah, man, that's cool and all, but we can't. Yeah. And the, but I was on the, the thing too with Dusty. I was like, I was like, well, Jesus, like, can't, shouldn't we at least listen if they have an offer or anything? Uh, so I was like, uh, and I told Dusty, I was like, well, you know, if, uh, you know, Chad, the, the organizer, if he wants to make an offer, whatever, he can send it over. It said, here's my email, you know, not expecting to really do it or anything. Um, but, you know, he sent it over. Uh, and that's kind of how it got going. I guess uh, Beloved or Dusty from Beloved, yeah, he was kind of the one kind of like, he was the contact because uh, we obviously have no booking agent or uh, we don't, you know, we don't have anything. Yeah. Um, so, and, but he had our contact. And so he kind of laid the groundwork for that to get started for sure. Are are you, I mean, you've got to be excited. Like I'm, I'm hoping that I get to go. That lineup is just insane. Yeah. No, I mean, I didn't, um, he, uh, when, when they wrote uh furnace fest, like we, it took us a while, but I was like, I, I told him like, we weren't going to be able to do it. Like, I just couldn't get everybody on the same page. Um, but he, uh, they were very, very, uh, they don't take no <laughs> as an answer, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they were very, uh, uh, coming back, you know, and that, that really meant, I think a lot to, uh, to everybody. The fact that like, they didn't just want to like, you know, they didn't just take the no and leave it. Like they kept coming back and like, like we really want you to play. We're this. We're not just trying to fill up our lineup. Like we really, really want you to play. And I think that meant a lot to everybody. Um, and I think that was really the thing that got everybody to say, "All right, you know what? We'll do it." Um, was the fact that they really, they really did seem to really want us uh, uh, to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, we hadn't been thinking about Code Seven. Like it came out of kind of nowhere. Like nobody's has been in that headspace for years. Uh, and and uh, everyone's kind of you know comfortable in what they're doing now and uh getting back in that headspace is kind of scary because it can take over um to where that's all you start thinking about because that, that is our favorite thing to do um <laughs> is uh and we'll spend all our time doing it if we're not careful which is i think why another reason why sometimes maybe we don't do get back into that world yeah uh is because it, it'll it kind of consumes us <laughs> well if, if i'm down there man we got to hang out <laughs> Oh yeah, dude. I'm I'm gonna be there for uh, every day. Like I I booked a hotel room. I'm bringing my kid. My kid is uh, just turned 16. He never saw Code Seven. Uh, he's never actually, I guess, seen me perform in a in a band band. Really, I don't think ever. Wow. So I'm like, all right, we're and he listens to a lot of these bands. Like he's the one showing me, like, uh, you know, he's the one telling me about like counterparts and stuff like that. So uh, he's pumped. So I'm like, all right, let's just make a make a thing out of it. Uh, and I know the way that. They have all the bands separated so well. It's like you kind of got to go every day now. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's crazy. I just had Josh from The Beautiful Mistake on the program. And, yeah. you know, they're playing. And, I mean, so many bands that kind of haven't really been in action for a while. But then you've got Hot Water Music and Avail. And, and 
I mean, it's amazing. Poison the Well is playing. I mean, have you seen any of the yeah. videos from their show out out west that they just did? Oh yeah, in uh, L.A. Yeah, oh, I have actually. Dude, it's so great. I, I love Poison the Well so much. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Those uh, those are some old friends of ours, and I'm so excited to see them play again because it's been a long time. That's awesome, man. Well, I tell you what, I've had you on the phone for quite a while. I have a couple listener questions if you wouldn't mind answering. Yeah, sure. Okay, so Eric from Indiana, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying this is Eric, the guitarist from Brazil. He wants to know what's up with the alien abduction theme on The Rescue. Um, our, the vocalists may or may not have had experiences that um, I can't confirm or, confirm or deny, but... Okay. Um, he's had some potential, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, you'd have to talk to Jeff. I wasn't there, so I can't confirm it, but, um, I've heard that he may have left the world possibly for a brief second. I don't know. Well, Hey, at least it gave him a lot of, you know, ammunition for writing some good stuff. Yeah, exactly. What, what are your thoughts? It's kind of a weird tangent, but like, as far as you know, aliens existing, paranormal stuff. Like, does that stuff excite you? Do you watch any of the TV shows of like ancient aliens or anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, the weird stuff like that was definitely that Jeff, the, the vocalist, like that's his world. He loves it. Um, you know, so he's all over that stuff. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, we all, I think, um, we're definitely, especially back in those days, we're like, uh, just all over the, what, anything that just sounded weird, we were like, just sucking it in. So being in, in North Carolina, I mean, I know a lot of the, the Bigfoot sightings are out West, but I know that there's like in Florida, there's the skunk ape. Is, is there any kind of ur- urban legends where you live? Oh man. Uh, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a road here called Payne road, which I haven't actually, I've never been on the South side of the city, but, uh, back when I was a kid, they would say, if you, uh, uh, what was it? I can't remember exactly. If you park your car on this road at this curve, like weird stuff happens. Um, and I, you really need to be talking to Jeff about this stuff. He can tell you all, all this stuff, but yeah, they, they, there's little things like that, I guess, but uh, I haven't experienced it myself. Cool. I'll have to have Jeff on at some point. Okay. So, yeah. uh, thank <laughs> you, Eric, for your question. And he wanted me to say hello to you. So, uh, yeah, hello back. So, uh, Francesca from Argentina, all the way down in South America, she said, where did the name code seven come from? Oh man. That, the, I think we, it was just combining words randomly together and every, nobody disagreed with that one. There's no meaning whatsoever. No meaning whatsoever. It sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, It sounded neutral. I think that's kind of why it didn't sound metal. It didn't sound necessarily it just sounded like it could kind of fit wherever it wanted to uh i I think that's why we all were like sure yeah but it really it was almost zero thought went into that um (laughs) awesome well francesca thank you for your question all the way from argentina thank you for listening i appreciate that and um i guess we know we're at the end of this thing man what is there is there any chances for new music i mean i know you guys are doing furnace fest but like it seems like maybe then the band's going to be back on the back burner right yeah, I mean, like, who knows? Like, we haven't started practicing uh, or anything yet. Um, we're just now starting to get those things uh, in order. So you never know. Like, um, I would love to write. Uh, I think everybody in the band would love to write. Um, it's, you know, I think some of us, like, uh, me and James have a, a business that we run together. Uh, 
and you know it's kind of a can of worms because you know our headspace and that's the reason why none of us most of us haven't done much music at all since code seven uh, is that uh you know we're concentrating on other things and when you open up this music it just it takes over like i can't describe it uh nothing happens except for music and uh, when you're trying to run a small business uh and several of us in the band have one um it's uh it's not good for business at all yeah um it will suffer so but i you know um not gonna lie it could happen uh if things go really well with practice and jamming and uh and whatnot you know um it, it could i don't know i'm not gonna say no but what, what, um, what if Circus Survive, you know, after Furnace Fest says, hey, come on tour with us again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I tell you, I'm dying to go on tour. It's been a long time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could, uh, if we could, I don't know. I, honestly, I think I don't see us doing much of anything unless there's music. Um, it was really cool to be able to do that, though, uh, especially doing that with Dredge and Animals Leaders. And oh, man, uh, such a dream, dream lineup. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess if another dream line would come up, yeah, we would probably do it. Um, we, it's hard to say no. You're leaving the door open, but there's no concrete plans, right? Right. I mean, as of a couple months ago, it was dead as a door now. So, uh, and so much has changed since then. So, uh, yeah, definitely not going to say no to anything. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for being on the program today. Um, is there anything else you'd like to promote on the show? Like anything you want to plug? Oh, man. Uh, the business or anything? Uh, the business is local. It doesn't really matter. Um, I would say um, there's a band I've been listening to uh, that I really like, State Faults. They put out a new record this year. Man, so good. Everybody should go check them out. What? Um, they're called State Faults. State Faults. Yeah, I their record came out last year, and oh man, it's so good. Everyone should go listen to that. Cool. Well, everybody go listen to that. And John, thank you so much. And uh, I hope to see you at Furnace Fest. And it's going to be amazing, man. And I, I, I've never, you know, I've seen you guys play. I think we played a show together, but I want to see it again. So I can't wait to see you guys if I'm there. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, make sure to hit me, hit me up and because I'm going to be down there all weekend. A couple of us probably will be. And uh, we'll get some beers or something. Oh, sounds great, man. Well, hey, thank you so much. And if something does come up in the future, please come back and tell us, okay? Yeah, most certainly. Awesome. I'll talk to you later, man. Have a great day. Great. Thank you. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with John Tuttle from Code 7. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Make sure to get your tickets for Furnace Fest. The lineup is unreal if you guys haven't seen it. It's like Poison the Well and Hot Water Music and Avail. And oh my God, it's just, it's insane. So make sure that you get down to Alabama for Furnace Fest. You guys will not be sorry. I am hoping to be there. Hopefully this this pandemic thing will die out before then. You know, people are saying it might last till August. It might last, to, you know, for three more weeks. Like nobody knows what's going on. And, and my wife and I watch the press conferences every day with Trump. And man, I just nobody can tell you anything. And I think that's it is the uncertainty of when we're going to get back to work and when we can leave the house and not be scared. It's just it's really crazy. Like I said, I was out in Oregon a few weeks back and I was kind of making fun of my mom because she was wearing a mask in the airport and we got home and I'm not making fun of her anymore. So I apologize, mom, if you listen to this, I apologize for making fun of you for, for being freaked out about the coronavirus because now I think I'm more freaked out than you are. So I hope you guys are safe out there wherever you are in the world. Drop me a line. Let me know how you're doing. 
Let me know how crazy it is where you live. So you can hit me up, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com or on all of the social media platforms at TOTOTpodcast. If you want to leave a voicemail, let me know what's going on. You can call the hotline. It is country code 1-765-372-8818. Hit me up and let me know how you're doing. So that's it for this week. I'd like to thank John from Code 7 for coming on the show. I'd like to thank all my sponsors, The Cryptics, Permanent Tattoo Gallery, Merge 4, Start Famous, and uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's all of them. So thank you guys so much for helping out, and thank you for listening. Without you guys, I'd just be talking into a mic, into nothing, and I really appreciate that you guys are here week in and week out. I've been getting some really, really cool emails from you guys. Remember, you can always email me and just let me know how things are. If you know, tell me if you like the show, if you hate the show, I love the feedback and I love the constructive criticism or just the accolades telling me how much you love hearing the sound of my voice. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I don't know, but that is it. I'm going to jump out of here, but not before I tell you next week on the program. It's a good one. Mr. Zach Quinn from pairs, amazing fat records band. They've got a new record out that you have to listen to. So much emotion and power and just passion. It is such a good record. So go check out the new Pairs record. It's on all of the streaming sites. And Zach Zach and I just had a really cool conversation. And that is next week. So make sure to come back for that. And until then, I'm going to leave you with two songs that I love by Code 7. One is a little bit heavier and one is a little bit spacier and more melodic. And uh, yeah. I'll just let you guys enjoy those and go get some Code 7 stuff, man. I think there's probably still some stuff in the Equal Vision store or, you know, go to rockabilia.com. They probably have some stuff. I don't know, man. Code 7's great, and I hope that they continue going. I hope they put out something new. But if not, it's great to just have the old stuff. So they're on all the streaming sites, too. So check out some Code 7. But I'm going to play The Rescue, and then I'm going to play Roped and Tied after that. So I love you guys. This is Chris. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't go anywhere. Social distance. Social distance from everybody. I love you. I'll see you next week. Peace.
Hey guys, it's Alice Lenny. And I see you. That's what One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.